Hey, welcome back. Dedicated this song to all the um, Diaper Don co defendants who are going down. Rudy Giuliani, Trevian, Cutie, Cutter. Looks like Cutter. Um, what do I mean? Like, uh, home fashions kind of pizza lasagna lasagna pizza mm. it's pretty good put some cilantro in there and um <clears throat> um two or three four different types of cheese and some uh it's actually using Hamburger buns that you kind of like crisp up to use as a yeah. Uh, I was recently talking crust. to a friend who said that he paid seven dollars a month for a certain subscription service, and I said you might want to check spending and once you stop using it, money save them on Apple. Twelve days of deals. We're watching um, Politics Girl with Robert Reich. So my wife got me this weird new kitchen knife as a Christmas Robert gift. Reich. God, I love her. Uh, that we have leaders who essentially say to America, here's the truth. Uh, unless we take back our country economically and politically, uh, we, we're not going to have much of a country left. Uh, that we can't go on as we are going now with more and more of the wealth and power of this country concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. Yeah, and that's why it's important who we elect as well. You know, I understand that President Biden was actually a pleasant surprise to you. He's always been seen as a centrist, and his plans and policies have been far more progressive than a lot of people, especially people that follow the economy, ever thought they'd be. Huh? So voting for someone like him that gives us an opening to make real change is... Absolutely, Lee. I was surprised. I mean, We're still I bombing was Syria for oil. in Bill Clinton's cabinet. Yeah. Uh, I was considered to be the leftmost person in the cabinet. Uh, and then I advised uh, Barack Obama. I thought Clinton and Obama were, were good, but they were kind of centrists. I never expected that Joe Biden would be the left uh, mm. of Clinton and Obama, but he is. Uh, not only in terms of labor unions, walking the picket lines and supporting the most activist pro-union National Labor Relations Board we've had, uh, but also attacking monopolies, going after some of the biggest monopolies in America, Google and, uh, I mean, Amazon and, and, and others. Uh, and at the same time, uh, passing uh, a huge infrastructure bill, a huge environmental bill that promotes wind and solar energy, uh, and at the same time, creating a lot of manufacturing jobs. I mean, this is with almost no congressional support, because remember, Republicans had half the Senate, and they barely, now they control the House. Uh, but even when Biden was passing all this legislation, it was by a very, very thin margin. So he deserves a huge amount of credit. Yeah, I think he does, too. I think he doesn't get anywhere near the credit he needs. But we also, you know, clearly need some form of campaign finance reform. I mean, 
most people are very tired of corporate money and politics. They see that it doesn't serve us. And I think we should vote with that in mind, that we will put politicians into power that will levy the power of corporations and big money in politics. Because I think getting dark money out of politics, repealing Citizens United, putting in ethics rules, maybe even term limits for Supreme Court justices, are things that people would like to see that would actually start making real change in the country again and get us to a place where it was felt more fair again. I could not agree with you more. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, every time I speak or I hear others speak uh, politically in front of crowds that are Republican or independent or Democrat, and you say, let's get big money out of politics, there is a roar of approval. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's, it's a, you know, people really don't want big money into politics. They, they want uh, Citizens United, that Supreme Court case that first opened the gates to big money, Over they want reversed. Uh, they want some controls on the amount of influence big money can have. Uh, and that goes back to taxes as well. Most people would support a wealth tax on big money. Uh, many people don't even realize that in the 1950s, the highest income tax rate was 92% on great incomes, great wealth. 92%. I mean, you couldn't possibly that passed today uh, because, well, again, the conventional wisdom is that high taxes inhibit economic growth. Not the case. No, that's when America was quote unquote great. Uh, well, you know, uh, it was in many respects. I mean, I, I don't want to be Pollyannish about it because women and a lot of black people and a yeah, lot of Latino not people. Not socially great, economically great. No, but, but, but even socially, we were at least recognizing, we began to recognize in the 1960s, and I lived through this, uh, the shortcomings of this country. You say, let's get big money out of politics. There is a roar of approval. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's, it's a, you know, people really don't want big money into politics. They, they want... Uh, Citizens United, that Supreme Court case that first opened the gates to big money, they want that reversed. Mm -hmm. uh, they want yes, some we controls do. on the amount of influence big money can have. Uh, and that goes back to taxes as well. Most people would support a wealth tax on big money. Uh, many people don't even realize that in the 1950s, the highest income tax rate was 92% <laughs> on great incomes, great wealth, 92%. I mean, you couldn't possibly get that passed today uh, because, well, again, the conventional wisdom is that high taxes inhibit economic growth. Not the case. No, that's when America was quote unquote great. Uh, well, you know, uh, it was in many respects. I mean, I, I don't want to be Pollyannish about it because women and a lot of black people and a lot of Latino Not people. Not socially great, economically great. No, but, but, but even socially, we were at least recognizing, we began to recognize in the 1960s, and I lived through this, uh, the shortcomings of this country and the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, uh, efforts to create more opportunities for women. Uh, all of that was part of the public agenda. It's no longer, sadly, part of the public agenda as it was. Yeah. And you think that the ongoing dysfunction in the House, the Republican House that's being run right now, all the chaos we're seeing, uh, you know, prior to Mike Johnson being elected speaker and now that Mike Johnson has been elected speaker, you don't think this is just some random, they can't organize themselves thing. You think it's part of a manufactured plot, right? To 
as you said earlier, to increase cynicism, right? The cynicism we feel for the government in general, to get us to check out, to get us to go, Ugh, it's all too much, I can't deal with it. It's like a conscious tactic that they're using to exhaust all of us in hopes that we won't be paying attention and we won't keep doing this and we won't ask for more. You think that's true? I do. Uh, sadly, tragically, I do. I think uh, Republicans, particularly in Washington, they would like the government to be so dysfunctional <laughs> that people throw up their hands and say, well, democracy doesn't work. Maybe we need a strongman. Maybe we need an authoritarian. Oh, who is around the corner? Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, well, you see how this plays into that Trump Republican strategy. And that's also, I mean, when you come back to when you hear about Russia every time, it's like, Russia likes nothing more than to show America doesn't work. If you say, like, look, democracy doesn't work. Everyone's corrupt. Even their leaders are corrupt. Their democracy doesn't work. No one actually votes. It's all rigged. Don't bother trying to have that kind of a country that's not even existing in America anymore. I think it serves all the same purpose. I, I think that you're right. Uh, and the danger is that people, as we talked about before, become so cynical in the United States, young people particularly, yeah. uh, that they don't bother to vote. They they say the you know the system is just inherently corrupt, uh, capitalism doesn't work, and uh, therefore we are not going to participate in the in democracy. Well, uh, that is I want to emphasize a self fulfilling prophecy. If people fall for that then we don't have any hope at all. Yeah, I always say not paying attention to politics doesn't mean politics doesn't affect you. It means you can't affect it. And that's the game. We've not paid attention for so long that it allowed the wrong people to take over. And the last thing we have to do now is to check out again. Exactly. Uh, you know, they, there are a lot of mythologies surrounding the economy. Uh, one of the most distressing to me is that we have something called the free market. Uh, that you must not interfere with, that you create all kinds of inefficiencies if you interfere with the free market uh, without people acknowledging or understanding that the market is a human creation. It's created and enforced and maintained by government. And when you have so much power and wealth at the top, that's what that power and wealth does. It changes the rules of the market help power and wealth. Yeah, it's like when the government bailed out the auto companies or the government bailed out the big banks or the government sent PPP loans to specific corporations. I always think about the pandemic when Saab died in Europe because it just couldn't make it. That doesn't happen here because we do have welfare. We just happen to have welfare for giant corporations and we'll hold them up even if the free market has decided they can't make it. Socialism for the rich. Absolutely. Uh, harsh capitalism, the harshest form of capitalism of all advanced countries uh, for everybody else. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this uh, horrifyingly high stakes election we have coming up? I mean, despite everything that's going on, it really does look like Donald Trump is going to be the nominee for the Republican Party. And despite the fact that it makes no sense when you look at him and President Biden on paper from everything from their accomplishments to their felony charges, it looks like the race between the two of them is going to be way too close for comfort with the fate of our country literally coming down to a handful of voters in a handful of states. So what can you leave us with or tell people with as we move into this next election year? Well, the number Love one and most important thing is to be politically active. Uh, if you we want need a moderate woman president, not these old farts. Or neo-fascism, 
You have got to be out there knocking on doors, uh, organizing, mobilizing, energizing people uh, for democracy. Uh, now, it sounds a little hokey, but that's really what it boils down to. Uh, secondly, you need to pay attention. Uh, people kind of, uh, you know, they, they fall for stereotypes. Donald Trump looks like he's tough and strong because he, you know, he hucks like and he puffs and he blows the houses down. Uh, but Joe Biden, in his own way, if you listen to what he says, look at what he does uh, in a in a much quieter way, he is far more effective. When the press compares Biden and says, oh, he's too old, and says Speak about Trump, well, carry a big his stick. problem is all of the criminal indictments. What the press is doing is creating a false equivalence. Why not look at Trump's age? He's only three years younger than Biden and acknowledge that he's unhinged. A lot of what comes out of his mouth uh, is something that you might be worried about in terms of particularly somebody who's very old and not quite with it. Uh, I think there ought to be more coverage of Donald Trump's, uh, well, uh, his age in terms of how it affects his, his brain. Yeah, we just had a, an episode about AI and uh, how it might take over the nuclear programs or war machine. And you have to make sure that the people in charge of these giant programs with this giant money, especially in a country like America with such a huge war machine, you put someone sane in charge. You know, you put someone competent in charge. Joe Biden might be a senior when Donald Trump was a freshman in high school, but he's much more staid, much more wise, much more competent, and he's a much more caring person by general nature who thinks of other people and not just how it best served himself. I mean, I think you and I have been on the same page for a really long time that we're incredibly clear that if the Democrats lose in 2024, we're not just losing the presidency. We are losing American democracy, that we cannot pretend that someone like Donald Trump is not a fascist type dictator who just wants to consolidate the entire power of the American government around himself and turn us into some kind of Christian nationalist Hungarian style autocracy. And the Republican Party, specifically state representatives and the Republican House, seem sort of all in on helping him do that. And we need to get really conscious if this is the route we want to take, because I think most people, if you really laid it out for them, they would not want to do that. I agree. Uh, the fact that you have a presidential candidate who was involved in an insurrection, uh, in fact, one court in Colorado just uh, a week and a half ago said that he was, in fact, an insurrectionist. You have a president who basically said he was not going to be bound by the results of the 2020 election. Uh, and, he, and he said, uh, not only am I not bound by them, but uh, I, don't even, I don't even have any facts to justify what I'm about to say. But he said, I was, the election was stolen from me. What kind of a, why should that person be running again? You know, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, says if you were involved in an insurrection, and if you once swore an oath to protect the Constitution, then you should not be allowed to run for public office once again. Yeah. Because you can't be trusted. Hello? Hello? That's one third <laughs> of Congress, too, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They should all hit yeah. the road, according to the 14th Amendment. Yeah. All of the election deniers out there. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. How can they be re-elected when they deny something that has no basis in fact, even Trump's attorney general?
said we've got to be more vocal about the 14th Amendment disqualifying one-third of Congress. Everybody call Justice Department and demand special prosecutor to take care of one-third of Congress who are insurrectionists. Get rid of them all. Okay, I'm going to post that on Twitter. X, whatever it's called. Politics, 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 gall. Robert Reich. Robert. Oops. Robert Reich. Politics, gall. Even. Trump's attorney general said that he lost the election. His own people are flipping on him now, saying that they've always known. You know, his own chief of staff, his own team of lawyers. They're the ones saying we knew all along. We just, we lied because it served us. Well, shame hmm. on all of them. Shame on all of them. I mean, even with all this going on, you don't feel despondent, do you? Oh, heavens no. Hmm. Uh, you know, I was thinking just uh, this morning, uh, a friend of mine brought it up, uh, about 1968. Now, Lee, this may have been before your time, a mm -hmm. little bit. It Discover this unique plant-based method to help thousands of women to rejuvenate their aging skin naturally. Before. Now, Lee, this may have been before your time, a little bit. <clears throat> now, Lee, this may have been before your time, a little bit. It was. I'm a 75 baby. But in 1968, uh, I was a senior in college. Uh, the Vietnam War was escalating. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was sending tens of thousands of Americans into Vietnam to be slaughtered and to slaughter Vietnamese. Uh, it was a complete and utter catastrophe. Uh, and I was active in the anti-war movement. Uh, and then in the midst of all of this, Eugene McCarthy decided to run, great. Uh, and then Martin Luther King was assassinated. Uh, and Bobby Kennedy decided to run, and that's great. And then he was assassinated. Uh, and, uh, and then the Democrats lost the presidency to none other than Richard Nixon. I mean, think of 1968 as the bottom. We are still not as bad off as we were in 1968. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I thought you put it really well when you reminded us Lisa, that it can be difficult been to find hope in cynical times. But we have to remember that the small actions political and the assassinations small victories that for we a while. have, they always lead to bigger ones. And when we have a bunch of small actions and small victories, that's when the improbable becomes possible, that we can't give up. We have to keep fighting. You know, so whether it's the election or the economy you posted on Instagram, if we allow ourselves to fall into fatalism and wallow in disappointment or become to resign to what is rather than what should be, that's when we lose the game. That the greatest enemy of positive social change is cynicism about what can be changed. And what you're saying is look at 1968, look at how much we changed since then, and look at what we could still do in the future. And I think you've said it beautifully that we have a moral duty to do everything we can non-violently of course to ensure that our democracy survives and you're still positive and i agree with you that if we work together we really can 
set ourselves on a far greater path. Stay together. Absolutely, Lee. Uh, and you on, look at the young people on. today and how activist many of them are uh, in unions, in politics, uh, AOC, uh, so many other uh, very, very impressive young politicians. Uh, you look at the degree to Jared which Moskowitz. women uh, are taking Dan Goldman. 60% of university students today are women. Uh, and that means we are changing our leadership in this country in terms of what leadership education. looks like. Black people and Latino people are gaining ground in all kinds of leadership roles. I, I had lunch a couple of days ago with uh, a, a wonderful politician from Tennessee who was kicked out uh, basically of the Tennessee legislature and he is not going to allow that to continue. He is leading a charge, a kind of a mission uh, to improve what's, what's happening in our democracy in state legislatures. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's much to be positive about. Yeah, there Jason, certainly is. Was it Jackson? Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, Robert. Jason, uh, thank you for your time, for your Jason. intellect, for your optimism. We can only use an infusion of that right now. Um, before you go, tell people how they can follow your work. I know you just started an amazing 10-part series on your terrific Substack, which everyone should, by the way, go and read, about the contradictions between the common good and American capitalism. I'm going to be following that. What else and how else can we follow you? Uh, well, uh, Inequality Media, uh, which is a group that uh, I co-founded, is a fabulous team of talented people uh, putting out uh, videos uh, every week uh, that are reaching uh, very, very large numbers. I mean, millions and millions of people and affecting how people understand the world, changing people's attitudes, because once they get the information and once they get it in ways that they can actually assimilate, uh, it's amazing that people's values are as progressive as they really are. So inequality, media, civic action, I would say support it, look for our videos uh, on YouTube, uh, a very important source of information. Absolutely, because once the wool is off your eyes, it just does not go back on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. So that was Professor Robert Reich reminding us that we can have the wealth in the hands of the select few, or we can have democracy, but we can't have both that we're at a moment in time where we must reimagine the way we do things and take the reins back from the lobbyists and the corporations and the ultra wealthy to find a way to make America work for us all. Being cynical won't help. Shutting down won't help. In fact, the idea that we'll check out because it all feels too hard is part of the strategy and we can't fall into it. I wanna thank Bob for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go check out Inequality Media and see what else you can learn. The world can be a better place. It just starts with our knowing. Right on. <clears throat> okay, well, let's go check out Inequality Media. There, it's on YouTube. Right. Hmm. More of these versus U.S. 
billionaires don't want you to know about the Supreme Court case, Robert Reich, 14 hours ago. A majority of Americans support a wealth tax. But, surprise, surprise, the wealthy Republican mega-donors who have been plying Supreme Court justices with gifts and vacations do not. And if those justices don't recuse themselves from a case I'm about to explain, it will be a grave conflict of interest and potentially block Congress from ever enacting a wealth tax. Moore versus United States concerns a one-time tax charged in 2017 on profitable foreign investments, regardless of whether investors cash them in. The plaintiffs argue that the tax is unlawful under the 16th Amendment, which gives Congress the power to tax incomes. Right now, the super wealthy can take advantage of increases in the value of their stock portfolios by using that stock as collateral to borrow all the money they need instead of taking taxable income. It's a way to have their cake and eat it too. If the Supreme Court buys the argument that the Constitution does not give Congress the power to tax increases in the value of investments, that would make it impossible to ever pass a wealth tax. But here's the kicker. This case raises profound conflicts of interest on the Supreme Court. Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas both accepted luxury vacations from billionaires who stand to gain financially and are tied to conservative political groups that are responsible for the <clears throat> argument. Incomes. Right now, the super wealthy can take advantage of increases in the value of their stock portfolios by using that stock as collateral to borrow all the money they need instead of taking taxable income. It's a way to have their cake and eat it too. If the Supreme Court buys the argument that the Constitution does not give Congress the power to tax increases in the value of investments, that would make it impossible to ever pass a wealth tax. But here's the kicker. This case raises profound conflicts of interest on the Supreme Court. Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas both accepted luxury vacations from billionaires who stand to gain financially and are tied to conservative political groups that are responsible for appealing the case. No wonder Americans don't trust the Supreme Court. So what can you do? First, share this video to spread the word about this little-known case. Second, contact your representatives and urge them to demand that justices with conflicts of interest recuse themselves. And third, if your representative doesn't support a wealth tax to combat inequality, replace them with somebody who does. With so much at stake, now is not the time to sit on the sidelines. I wonder um, if I can join this team.
So we have Robert Reich. What happened to flying? Why does flying suck so much? A warning from 1994 of a two-tiered society from Robert Barons to Bezos. This history repeating itself. Are we in a second Gilded Age? Ultra-wealthy elite. Political corruption, vast inequality. These problems are not new. In the late 1800s, they dominated the country during America's first Gilded Age. We overcame these abuses back then. And we can do it again. Ultra-wealthy elites, political corruption, vast inequality. These problems are not new. In the late 1800s, they dominated the country during America's first Gilded Age. We overcame these abuses back then. And we can do it again. Mark Twain coined the moniker The Gilded Age in his 1873 novel to describe the era in American history characterized by corruption and inequality. There was masked by a thin layer of prosperity for a select few. The end of the 19th century and start of the 20th century marked a time of great invention, bustling railroads, telephones, motion pictures, electricity, automobiles, which changed American life forever. But it was also an era of giant monopolies, oil, railroad, steel, finance, run by a small group of men who had grown rich beyond anything America had ever seen. They were known as robber barons because they ran competitors out of business, exploited workers, charged customers exorbitant prices, and lived like royalty as a result. Money consumed politics. Robber barons and their lackeys donated bundles of cash to any lawmaker willing to do bidding on their behalf. And when lobbying wasn't enough, the powerful turned to bribery, resulting in some of the most infamous political scandals in American history. Uh -huh. The gap between the rich and poor in America reached astronomical levels. Large numbers of Americans lived in squalor. Anti-immigrant sentiment raged, leading to the enactment of racist laws to restrict immigration and voter suppression, largely aimed at black men who had recently won the right to vote, was rampant. The era was also marked by dangerous working conditions. Children, often as young as 10 years old, but sometimes younger, worked brutal hours in sweatshops. Workers trying to organize labor unions were attacked, sometimes killed. It seemed as if American capitalism was out of control, and American democracy couldn't do anything about it because it was bought and paid for by the rich. But Americans were fed up, and they demanded reform. Many took to the streets in protest. Investigative journalists, often called muckrakers then, helped amplify their cries by exposing what was occurring throughout the country. And a new generation of political leaders rose to end the abuses. Politicians like Teddy Roosevelt, who warned that a small class of enormously wealthy and economically powerful men, whose chief object is to hold and increase their power, could destroy American democracy. After becoming president in 1901, Roosevelt used the Sherman Antitrust Act to break up dozens of powerful corporations. Seeking to limit the vast fortunes that were creating a new American aristocracy, Congress enacted a progressive income tax through the 16th Amendment, 
as well as two wealth taxes. The first wealth tax in 1916 was the estate tax, a tax on the wealth of someone accumulated during their lifetime, paid by the heirs who inherited it. The second tax on wealth, enacted in 1922, was a capital gains tax, a tax on the increased value of assets paid when those assets were sold. The reformers of the Gilded Age also stopped corporations from directly giving money to politicians or political candidates. And then Teddy Roosevelt's fifth cousin, you may have heard of him, continued the work through his New Deal programs, creating social security, unemployment insurance, a 40-hour work week, and requiring that employers bargain in good faith with labor unions. But following the death of FDR and the end of World War II, when America was building the largest middle class the world had ever seen, we seemed to forget about the abuses of the Gilded Age. Now, more than a century later, America has entered a second Gilded Age. It's also a time of extraordinary invention and a time when monopolies are taking over vast swaths of the economy. So we must renew antitrust enforcement to bust up powerful companies. Now, another generation of robber barons is accumulating unprecedented money and power. So once again, we must tax these exorbitant fortunes. Wealthy individuals and big corporations are once again paying off lawmakers, sending them billions to conduct their political campaigns, even giving luxurious gifts to Supreme Court justices. So we need to protect our democracy from big money, just as we did before. Voter suppression runs rampant in the states, as during the first Gilded Age, making it harder for people of color to participate in what's left of our democracy. So it's once again critical to defend and expand voting rights. Working people are once again being exploited and abused. Child labor is returning. Unions are busted. The poor are again living in unhealthy conditions. Homelessness is on the rise. And the gap between the ultra-rich and everyone else is nearly as large as in the first Gilded Age. So, once again, we need to protect the rights of workers to organize, invest in social safety nets, and revive guardrails to protect against the abuses of great wealth and power. The question now is the same as it was at the start of the 20th century. Will we fight for an economy and a democracy that works for all rather than the few? We've done it before. We can and must do it again. Great video. Um, trying to uh, share and share.
Professor Reich on how we've entered a second Gilded Age. Whatever happened to the Sherman Antitrust Act? Thanks for 303K. And, uh, see what else they got. I'm Robert Reich. What's going on with the economy? A warning from 1994 about two-tiered society, why we need to ban college legacy admissions. No labels isn't what it claims to be. Biden's key to winning in 2024 will go after the forces that rigged. From Robert Banks, Bezos' history repeating itself. That was what we just saw. Biden chooses workers over Wall Street. Say goodbye to lousy, low-paying jobs. Why the... The benefits of a job. We mustn't forget the economic frustrations that helped fuel Trump's election. For too long, too many Americans have faced lousy jobs or no jobs. One answer, a guaranteed job at a living wage. But President Trump's Republicans continue to push for work requirements for recipients of Medicaid, food stamps, and public housing benefits. But the real problem is there aren't enough adequately paying jobs to go around. Even today, with a low official unemployment rate, millions who work part-time jobs want full-time work. Millions more are too discouraged to look for work, having endured the brutalities of job discrimination for far too long, or unable to move to where the jobs are. Nobody's and a hiring. large and growing number of jobs don't I'm pay overqualified. enough to get people out of poverty. At the same time, yeah. a lot of work needs to be done. You want to pay me 12 bucks an hour? Fuck that. Caring for the elderly, teaching in our public schools, adequately staffing national parks. Dangerous as it. hell. So why shouldn't the federal government create jobs and connect them directly to people who can't otherwise find one? with decent, predictable hours and a living wage. An added plus, the availability of such jobs would give more bargaining power to many low-wage workers to get better hours and wages. Because if they don't get them from their employer, they'd have the option of a public job. In this way, a federal job guarantee would raise the floor for job quality nationwide. And a job guarantee would act as a giant economic stabilizer during downturns, when the first to lose their jobs are usually the most economically marginalized. Can we afford a job guarantee today? Yes. It's estimated to cost around $670 billion in its first year, $30 billion less 
than the defense budget. But that tab would quickly shrink. With more people working at better wages, Americans would have more purchasing power to buy goods and services. This would lead to more hiring by the private sector and eventually less need for the federal job. More people working would also generate more tax revenue, partially offsetting the direct cost of the job guarantee. Additional savings would come from fewer people needing public assistance. The Center for yeah. Labor Research and estimates that the federal government now spends over $150 billion a year because workers aren't earning enough to get out of poverty. So doesn't it make more sense to use this money to create guaranteed jobs at a living wage? So let's think beyond Trump to what Americans need. American, New things America's are strong. more important than a decent job. Full employment through a federal job guarantee makes sense for workers, for the economy, America for America. Even today, with a low official unemployment rate, millions who work part-time jobs want full-time work. Millions more are too discouraged to look for work, having endured the brutalities of job discrimination for far too long, or unable to move to where the jobs are. And a large and growing number of jobs don't pay enough to get people out of poverty. At the same time, a lot of work needs to be done, greening our nation's infrastructure, caring for the elderly, teaching in our public schools, adequately staffing national parks, you name it. So why shouldn't the federal government create jobs and connect them directly to people who can't otherwise find one, with decent, predictable hours and at a living wage? An added plus, the availability of such jobs would give more bargaining power to many low-wage workers to get better hours and wages, because if they don't get them from their employer, they'd have the option of a public job. In this way, a federal job guarantee would raise the floor for job quality nationwide. And a job guarantee would act as a giant economic stabilizer during downturns, when the first to lose their jobs are usually the most economically marginalized. Can we afford a job guarantee today? Yes. It's estimated to cost around $670 billion in its first year, $30 billion less than the defense budget. But that tab would quickly shrink. With more people working at better wages, Americans would have more purchasing power to caring for the elderly, teaching in our public schools, adequately staffing national parks, you name it. So why shouldn't the federal government create jobs and connect them directly to people who can't otherwise find one, with decent, predictable hours and at a living wage? An added plus, the availability of such jobs would give more bargaining power to many low-wage workers to get better hours and wages, because if they don't get them from their employer, they'd have the option of a public job. 
In this way, a federal job guarantee would raise the floor for job quality nationwide. And a job guarantee would act as a giant economic stabilizer during downturns, when the first to lose their jobs are usually the most economically marginalized. Can we afford a job guarantee today? Yes. It's estimated to cost around $670 billion in its first year, $30 billion less than the defense budget. But that tab would quickly shrink. With more people working at better wages, Americans would have more purchasing power to buy goods and services. This would lead to more hiring by the private sector and eventually less need for the federal job guarantee. More people working would also generate more tax revenue partially offsetting the direct cost of the job guarantee. Additional savings would come from fewer people needing public assistance. The Center for Labor Research and Education at Berkeley estimates that the federal government now spends over $150 billion a year because workers aren't earning enough to get out of poverty. So doesn't it make more sense to use this money to create guaranteed jobs at a living wage? So let's think beyond Trump to what Americans need. Few things are more important than a decent job. Full employment through a federal job guarantee makes sense for workers, for the economy, for America. So yeah, I support a federal jobs guarantee. For these reasons, <clears throat> right. What other great stuff has he got on this channel? the mice too well fed around here okay kitty watch out stuffed Let's see here. Politicians have no desire to end poverty because without it, corporations couldn't control workers. 
Okay, and thanks to growing market concentration, giant corporations have been able to jack up prices and rake in record profits. The result, CEOs and executives get to pocket excess profits while everyday Americans get their pockets picked. Yep. Post shared quantum supremacy. Well, let's go see what Midas Touch is up to. La la la, la 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 la. What's that? Diaper Donald's favorite song. La la la, la 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 la. No immunity traitor. Trump's last hope of dismissing case vanishes before his eyes. <clears throat> Two minutes ago. Trump tells Hannity he will be a dictator on day one. Fucking freak. Okay, ex-Republican operative torches his old party. Don't burn the boats. Diaper Don makes serious threats at Bizarre Fox Town Hall one hour ago. This is a Morgan & Morgan legal alert. Google has allegedly violated the privacy of millions of Americans via incognito mode. Shocker. If you've used incognito mode in Google's Chrome internet browser, you may be entitled to join our lawsuit. Go to incognitolawsuit.com today. Now, before that, you said if you've been wronged and you used other words as well. But I want to be very, very clear on this. To be clear, do you in any way have any plans whatsoever, if reelected president, to abuse power, to break the law, to use the government to go after people? You mean like they're using right now? So in the history of our country... What's Ooh. happened to us, again, has never happened before. Over nonsense, over nothing, made up charges. I often say Al Capone, he was one of the greatest of all time, if you like criminals. He was a mob boss, the likes of which Scarface, they call him. And he got indicted once. I got indicted four times. I wonder what my father and mother would say looking down. So I will take that as yes. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. That was something they're calling a town hall. It was a North Korea-style propaganda event hosted by right-wing disinformation network Fox, where Donald Trump was asked a very basic question there, if he had plans to abuse power, and Donald Trump started talking about his indictments. He was given a second chance by Hannity to answer that same question, and Hannity asked Donald Trump for a second time if he intends to abuse power, and Trump says that he would plan to do dictatorial 
dictatorial things on the first day of a second term. He says, on the first day, I will act like a dictator. Here, play this clip. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's not a drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be... I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, I love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies when you were president. All right, exactly. take a break. Just getting started. We're in beautiful Davenport, Iowa. Donald Trump with us for the hour as Hannity continues. Thank you for being with us. So to be clear, already in my recap of this uh, Donald Trump, whatever you want to call this event with Sean Hannity, he's praised Al Capone. He says he wants to be a dictator on day one, already just lying. But by the way, um, it should be noted that under President Biden, there is more drilling than under Donald Trump. Under every metric, whether you're talking about the economy, whether you're talking about drilling, whether you're talking about uh, lowering the debt, Donald Trump increased the debt $8 trillion. Um, by the way, Donald Trump was asked a question about that. Hannity tried to ask Donald Trump a question about the national debt, $8 trillion in debt added under Donald Trump. Um, more money printed than ever before. I mean, Donald Trump engaged in the most irresponsible fiscal decisions imaginable in the history of this country, responsible for over 25% of all debt in the history of the United States. Donald Trump can't answer the question and all of a sudden start saying China virus or whatever the heck he says. Here, play this clip. This year, Mr. President will pay, before we spend a dime, $1 trillion on debt service alone before Medicare, Social Security, National Defense. That is unsustainable. So before COVID hit us, our gift uh, from China, that was our gift. What happened to us with COVID, commonly known as the China virus. They don't like that. But it was a China virus. We were doing energy, taking our liquid gold out of the ground at a rate that's never been seen before, and it was going up. We were going to be using that liquid gold to sell to Europe instead of the pipeline from Russia, which I exposed and I stopped. You know, I Russia, stopped that Russia, line. Russia. Then they say I was nice to Russia. It was nobody that was nice. I was not nice to Russia. I stopped that pipeline. We would have been selling oil and gas to Europe, to Asia, all over the world. We would have been paying off debt. That debt would be way down right now because we have more. What people don't know, we have more liquid gold than any other country in the world by far. Here, Donald Trump makes a mockery of global warming, climate change. Play the clip. We can't. We have a country. We have to fire up our factories. Wind is not going to fire up our factories. And it's the most expensive energy. Even solar. I like solar from a concept standpoint. But it's massively expensive. And we can't allow China to build a factory a week. And we do nothing. They build a coal plant. And they're obvious about it. And then Biden goes to see them about global warming, 
The only global warming we should be thinking about and worrying about because it could happen tomorrow is nuclear global warming, not global warming. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the meat here does that again. Play the clip. Well, you know, they don't call it global warming so much. Now they call it climate change because it wasn't working. Global warming wasn't working when it was cooling. So now they call it climate change. That takes care of everything. Then Donald Trump says when he's been um, making all of these mistakes where just he's in cognitive decline. When Donald Trump's saying uh, he's calling President Biden Barack Obama, he's saying that Viktor Orban is mm. the leader of Turkey. He's saying that Jeb Bush was George W. Bush. Uh, he's saying that... Uh, President Biden was responsible for World War II. I can go on with all of these lists of cognitive issues that Donald Trump has exemplified. Donald Trump says he'd rather be eaten by uh, sharks or than be electrocuted, or he'd rather be electrocuted than eaten by uh, sharks. But here, Donald Trump says that he's doing that. Uh, he's just being sarcastic. Here, play the clip. Our uh, rallies, and then I'll say. Our real president is Barack Hussein Obama. They'll say he doesn't know who the president is. He thinks it's Barack Hussein. No, I'm being sarcastic. They and here Donald Trump, in trying to criticize President Biden, says, from your standpoint of cognitively, he's not good. Uh, play this clip. Uh, he is number one. From your standpoint, cognitively, you like to use that word, cognitively, he's not good. But... It's not for me to hear Donald Trump claims that there were more jobs created under him than any president ever. Play the clip. That's why we had the most jobs of any president ever. I mean, Sean Hannity is doing a real zinger of a job, right? I mean, you are you are holding him accountable, Sean. I mean, just look at it. I mean, uh, President Biden's created more jobs than any president in the history. Unemployment is at record lows. GDP is the highest of any G7 nation. For the first time in any recent history, America's economy is growing faster than that of China. America's inflation is lower than any other G7 nation. Unemployment is lower than it's ever been in American history. Um, you know, those metrics are good. And as President Biden said, this isn't a spike the football moment, though. We need to keep working on bottom up, middle out, not this trickle down thing that benefits uh, billionaires and decamillionaires. Um, show you here as well. Um, Donald Trump continues this was before he spoke. This is Donald Trump bragging about the gag order that was imposed on him. Here, play this clip. President Trump, any comment on the gag order staying in place? Well, basically, they're afraid to have me speak because I speak the truth. They try and gag me. Never happened in the history of our country. But, you know, they do gag orders because they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear me speak. So in many ways, it's an honor. Because if they wanted to hear me speak, they wouldn't do the gag order, right? <laughs> okay, so I just want to be clear. He's bragging that a gag order was imposed on him. He's praising Al Capone. He says that...